makes you such a threat? We choose the right to be who we are. We know the difference between the reality of freedom and the illusion of freedom. There's a way to live with Earth and a way not to live with Earth. We choose the way of Earth. It's about power. Joshua. Welcome, my relatives. I shake your hands with good feelings in my heart. It's a good day for all of us to be here. In addition to relativity, this is First Voices Radio. I send you greetings and strength from the highlands of the Asopus, where the active breath of the Muncie Lenape Nation lives in what is now temporarily called the Catskill Mountains by the settlers, Dutch, and Americans. And regardless, they are the highlands of the Asopus. I'm Teokazin Ghost Horse, and this is an all-native hosted, all-native produced First Voices Radio, and from the Red Lake Ojibwe Nation, Liz Hill, the producer of First Voices Radio. And you can now hear us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Buzzsprout, Spotify, as well as First Voices Indigenous Radio.org for archive, downloading, and listening. Our theme song is Tahi by Moana and the Moa Hunters. In Mawa, New Jersey, and Suffern, New York, in May of 2022, Duane Perry, Chief Duane Perry, and and Steve Dennison Smith of the Ramapo Muncie Lenape Nation hosted a ceremony at the Split Rock Sweetwater Prayer Camp to receive an original deed for land located in today's towns of Ramapo and Suffern, New York, and the townships of Mawa and Ringwood, New Jersey. This deed, which has been passed down through six generations of Sloat family, purports to convey title to a tract of land called Potat to one Wynette Van Gelder by several members of the Ramapo Muncie Lenape Nation. Pothat is identified as being in Orange County in a province or colony of New Jersey and today is most likely parts of the towns of Ramapo and Suffern, New York and the townships of Mawa and Ringwood, New Jersey. The deed was originally made on March 7, 1737. We speak with Chief Duane Perry about the exchanging of the deed and the proposed return of land to the Ramapo Muncie Lenape Nation. On May 13, 2022, Sloat descendants to return deed to Ramapo Muncie Lenape Nation ceremony at Split Rock Sweetwater. And that did happen, did it not, Chief Dwayne Perry? Yes, sir. Uh, yesterday it was returned uh, to the people from whence it came, yes. What did it take for the preparation and even that you were notified that certain a certain family this returned this land to the Lenape? Well... I think the interesting uh, part, the 
maybe most notable was the the courage and the integrity it took for the Slope family uh, descendants to return it to the Ramapo people from whence it came. Needless to say, we have been here. We have, we have not been uh, relocated. Our people have been here since since memorial immemorial, and uh, we were instrumental in the initial success of the American Revolution. If it hadn't been for our people, there would not have been either state or a country. And the interesting thing was, I don't want to be late at the moment, but as soon as there was a comfort level, they enslaved our people. This was before uh, an economic slavery of Africans. The very people they needed to win the revolution, they turned around on and enslaved. And it's been a, I think I could say quite honestly, and I'm, I'm sure it can be verified, we are literally the descendants, the descendants of the American Holocaust. We're not talking about a massacre. We're talking about people that turned around and literally tried to eliminate us from the earth. So, I, like I said, I think it took a great deal of courage for the people in some factor that would have been uh, known George Washington as a, as a surveyor to come forward out of this sort of uh, historical group of Americans and, and provide the deed which provides the, the truth in history. Would this be back then in 1785, I think September 13th, after that revolution of America, this was a, a there a voluntary act that the deed could be recorded and actually recognized as an official part of the land that they own. But yet, why did it take so long for this to appear once again? And how swift was the exchange, the legal process is what I'm yeah, talking I, about. I think initially what we're talking about here is property value and location. If you look at the history of, of the Ramapo-Muncie people, at, we withdrew from the Iroquois Confederacy. We backed the rebels because they proclaimed the same ideals we did about liberty and et cetera. And then, as I believe everyone is celebrating, they took the further step to enslave the Ramapo people. Up until that point in history, and it's verifiable, uh, George Washington was a surveyor. And, and the people that that the Sloats and other peoples that helped found this nation, uh, it was, like I said, the first uh, 900 cannonballs in the American Revolution was made from Ramapo Lenape iron deposits. The chain across the Hudson was made from Ramapo Lenape iron deposits. The Capitol Dome was made from Ramapo Lenape iron deposits. The Lady of Freedom or whatever above the Capitol Dome was made from Ramapolanopi iron deposits. The problem was, up on total success, they wrote the Ramapolanopi people, the Muncie people, out of the American paradigm. I would suggest, had we stayed a part of the actual creation of what we're now calling the America, there wouldn't have been slavery, there wouldn't be no denigration of women, and it would have been a completely different type of society focused more on lifting up all as opposed to a handful having one. So why has it taken so long? Pure greed. Pure greed. If you just look at where we live, the actual physical plant, we are basically in the hub of, of, of the world's financial market. And our people primarily that have stayed in the home area are worker bees. We've got a lot of neighbors that have that have millions and billions and have no idea of family, community, or anything else from what I've seen from them. I think the issue right now is about money. And if they can continue to denigrate us and disappear us, 
like I said, I think it started out with actual genocide. And I can uh, show where modern day Americans supported that. And right now we're still suffering from quiet genocide, which is a intentional lack of uh, encouraging our children to drop out of school at seventh or eighth grade. That directly impacts the fiscal piece, that there's manipulation of zoning. All of those things are still going on. And I believe the heart of it is it's just about greed. And they told this lie about this sort of magnificent, benevolent founding of the country that we don't fit into it. You can't denigrate and try to annihilate a people. And then after all these years, you're sort of kumbaya. Can you imagine? Oh, the Ramapo Muncie were instrumental in ensuring the initial uh, success of the American Revolution in the New England colonies. Has anybody ever heard that? No. But we've heard all kinds of story about made-up races, made-up cultures, made-up uh, incest. The question I'm thinking about, is this Episcopalian priest, Jack Zamboni, actually understood maybe there was a repair work to be done and that Absolutely. he thinks he's taking the first step that this should be done all across the country where this repair work. But that is like the umbrella repair work for damage is taken. And you said it all through right. the, the cultural genocide. What goes into how much land is returned and what is the condition of that land once it's returned to you, Chief Dwayne Perry? Quite frankly, I don't believe they're going to return anything. But if I ask for, or, and we're not asking for reparation, but I would say this in the pocket of land, the mountains that have surrounded the tribe till this day and protected us, it's pretty well barren mountainous woodland. It would be wonderful if they would allow us to have that piece of land that's kept our people alive for these many years to return it. But we're not, we're not worrying about reparations. I think a bigger thing is, Teokasin, is that. The courage that the, the, the Sloat descendant showed and hopefully the understanding and between both the Ramapo and the Sloats, the kindness would be a footprint towards where the, the nation needs to go. We need to, if we can forgive and be kind to each other and grow as a nation, then we can once again truly be one nation under the creator and have a shining star here in, in, the, in the East. But this is where... We're diversifying now more than ever about foolishness. And, and I'm hoping this sets an example for future generations and for this generation we're talking about. There's other documents that we have are that we have available, actual literally documents like this one. The difference is, and you'll you'll you can appreciate this, if we didn't have the slope uh, family speaking out about it, they don't care what documents we got, we're trash. 30 years ago, they don't care, you know. You know, this power of a, a piece of paper rather than the handshake of a native person back then, it was a marked difference because they could manipulate um, this piece of paper because it comes from their, their legal system. Yet a handshake has to do with all humans and a good heart. And I think that's what the exchange was back then. And something yes. didn't turn out. Someone lied to the other one. Well, I think a big issue with that was, and with all of our people here and on, on this part of Turtle Island, we saw ourselves as a part of nature. It wasn't something that could be purchased or owned. And I think that clearly was shown throughout the East where people signed, okay, you can have this. And then all of a sudden they returned to go hunting and they were shot and killed. Because I think initially they just said, well, we can be friends. We understood these people had weapons. 
But I don't believe deep down inside you had such a, a clash of cultures where one that were takers and keepers and the other ones, our culture just never thought you could own nature. It was something the creator gave us. So it was, it was beyond even, you know what I'm saying? It was a spiritual yeah. belief. It's more than that now for all of us, but think about it. Can you imagine standing there and somebody says, I want to own over to that mountain and those rivers. And you're looking at him like, yeah, he's wearing a wig and pantyhose or something. Go ahead and tell him. Yeah. So I think we really did have a bit of a clash of uh, understanding of where people came from. And then the, the, a lot of the Europeans were, were takers and keepers. If this land was returned to you, Chief Dwayne Perry, how much land are we talking about? Well, I, I looked at uh, some of the uh, areas. You're talking about an easy 100 square miles plus. So if they returned what we are talking about now, I would be overjoyed to just see the mountain ridges that we now are surrounding and that's protecting our villages, maybe five or six square miles. And I'm talking about uninhabited land. I'm not talking about anybody removing themselves. I'm understanding there are other tracts of land throughout the United States, maybe up into Canada, I doubt it, but in the United States there are various quote-unquote tribes getting land returned to them through another process of the government um, the U.S. federal government, this is a, a, a personal, if not a state-level return of land, is it not? Yeah, absolutely. It, on paper, it is. The question is, is the New York state governor going to acknowledge us? Is the New Jersey governor? And why do we still have to go back We even have, and ask for federal recognition of what? Of allowing you to have a country? Well, actually, I actually have a piece of paper that said we already have a federal uh, standing. We can't apply it. And I think the reason is we are in New York. We're 30 miles outside of New York. We're in New York metropolitan area. And quite frankly, nobody cares about that. I, I, I'm not trying to be coy, but think of this. Most of our relatives, there were no real European, real influx of Europeans west of Mississippi for about uh, 200 or so years. By that time, we had trains, telegraphs, windows, and et cetera. And they were just getting buckboards and invaded. And another thing is, and I please ask all of my relatives to understand what I'm saying. I'm talking about economics. If you, nobody would really care if the Ramapo had any federal standing or not. If we were in Montana or someplace like that, they don't want to hear that in metropolitan New York. It wasn't long ago, uh, I think a little less than a year and a half ago, uh, one of these people with the billionaire group, they wanted to go up and look at some uh, tribal places. And I didn't take them where they wanted to go, but I took them. I was coming down another side, side of the mountain. And the guy jumps out the car. He runs over on the ledge and he goes, wow, look at this. What a power spot for a home. It's overlooking Manhattan. He had no idea. There's people that now live in Bergen and Rockland County and around that think if you have a two or three bedroom home, they can put it in your garage. So you have no right to be around them. So what I'm saying is it's about economics and ego. I remember in 2007 or so with a Declaration of Rights of Indigenous Peoples and uh, a late lawyer that I worked with there, Tanya Frischner, and other peoples that uh, determined that through the doctrine of discovery, through states have written about Native people within New York State and other places in the Western Hemisphere not being human beings. But it came to this, Duane, is that... In the, in the long run, Native people really 
don't have rights to own property within the the the, the state of uh, United States. I guess I, I guess that's what it would be, Perfect. but that they have the right to occupy. And what does that say to you when the the language is confusing, even to the, the average listener? It says to me that we are going to continue to suffer for quiet genocide. We're not occupiers. We've been discounted as human beings and as the indigenous people of this land. It's it's just one more step towards extinction. I'd like to add this. I keep saying uh, genocide, but this is something that happened in the early 40s, and this is also a well-kept open secret. They did the Vineland study in New Jersey. The Vineland study was designed to identify subhumans, subhumans. Members of the Ramapo tribe were in that study, and if he was available, we know them. They have told horrific stories before the ones now coming out. The wonderful thing here is this. Adolf Hitler gave Mr. Ford a medal for his outstanding work in, in identifying subhumans, and then they took what they identified as the technology and took it to Europe to put Jewish children away. That's real, and our people are still suffering that, and I would... I would proffer one reason we haven't been able to get out from under too much is because in general, every group, there's three to five percent that are socially active and et cetera. You have 5,000 people with maybe half of us have fled to other states. We don't have a body of lawyers and doctors that can stand up and, and, and finance and, and fight that. It's just becoming now, thanks to you, thanks to other media people in the slopes that the reality of history is coming out. And the one thing I really do that really hopes come out is real history is told. Just tell the truth. Just tell the truth. And I think that might be the beginning of lifting the entire uh, North America up out of where we are right now. It's a very valid point. Most people are tending to categorize the real history is to, to tell the truth is often put in a, under educational terms such as critical race theory. Do you think this would be another study and then shelved and let's go on to the next thing? Because after all, the Ramapo are going extinct. Well, I guess the powers that be could, could say, let's wait it out. We wait this long. But on the other hand, with just what's happened, I think it was extremely valiant of the Slow family to step forward. We would not be having this conversation, I'm fairly confident, if it was on to me to be able to do an article. I've been, we've, my people's been doing this way before me. The last time we actually literally, literally had, we had, uh, we still have the paperwork. Uh, the leading genealogist in, in the American Genealogical Society, everything was a done deal in terms of federal recognition. The Gaming Commission got involved. Next thing you know, they knew we were denied three weeks before we knew. Is it because they felt that you would be a threat to their piece of the pie? Yes, I, exactly. I think they said, nobody's driving three hours to Atlantic City if you can drive a half hour outside of Manhattan and get the same uh, gaming. And of course, at that point, not only were we want gaming, we were going to do it with gangsters and all kinds of stuff. You know what I mean? It was mm -hmm. a whole big scare thing. One person even said he looked more like Indians than we did. I guess he might because he looks like he's red or yellow or something. Chief Dwayne Perry of the Ramapo Munti Lenape Nation, is there anything else that you would like to add to this time while on First Voices Radio? I would like to say to everyone listening, let's be kind. 
Let's have the courage to be kind and to share kindness every day. And let's actually use some critical thinking and use it in our mind. Let's not do feel-good politics. Let's be kind to each other and let's lift each other up. And all this foolishness about whatever kind of history it is, I'm not interested in that. Just tell the truth. Simply tell the truth and respect the history that brought us to this point in time. That's all. Let's be America the beautiful, not whatever it is we think we're doing here. And for God's sakes, please take your foot off of all of our relatives all through all over the country. And yes, I'm talking about our indigenous relatives. It's an honor to have you here again, Chief. Thank you for being with us here on First Voices Radio. It's, uh, it's very important to know in this area, especially when Native people seems to be very mi- minor in, in a lot of affairs. We're not gone. We're still here. Exactly. Yeah, the earth knows that. So take care of yourself. Don't want to fight by Alabama Shakes. Our 
filling up their glasses No expression, no expression Hide my head, I wanna drown my sorrow No tomorrow, no tomorrow And I find it kind of funny, I find it kind of sad Dreams in which I'm dying are the best I've ever had I find it hard to tell you, I find it hard to take When people run in circles, it's a very, very Michael Andrews of Tears for Fears from the album Trading Snake Oil for Wolf Tickets. That's Mad World featuring Gary Jules on vocals. How do we become the shape of what we wish to see? To put something in order before it exists. A seed curled inside a balled up fist as if this potential for regeneration needed to be hidden. How our tongues become instruments of the earth's heart when the spark of our vision is made visible with every syllable of this turning. The world is burning, and yet we who are recovering from impact are called to plant, to sow, to sing, to string the fragments of this scattering into some semblance of symmetry. Who of us will weave the strands of our memory back into circle? Who of us will break the cycle of violence by returning to the ground of our relation? To remember how ancient this calling from the future is. This revolutionary impetus to abolish an incarceral system that is symptom of an alienated split to locate medicine in the rip where the light slips through the cracks of our undoing. 
calling forth the seed of the mother of the mother of this earth, calling forth the hunger of the sacred and the curvature of thirst, calling forth the gifts of children and the ones who've learned to mentor, calling forth the trees to become the airwaves of life waves remembered, calling forth the margins to return to the center of the universes everywhere and everyone's in orbit. Rematriate the land back to her sovereign steward sources, calling forth the unseen ones who fertilize the nation, calling forth the fractals that rattle the fractures of our perceived separation. Dreaming at the edge of collapse, we reach back and bring forward that which needs our tending. Heed the messages and read the maps that nature keeps on sending. Our collective prayers in action become weight placed upon the bending. We are mighty and small temporal and beyond time. We are because life is and all we have is what we give back to the spinning and the surging and the loosening remains, to the grieving and the praising and the returning of our names, to the churning and the learning and the emergence of change. And welcome back to First Voices Radio. My name is Diokas and Ghost Horse. Our next guest, Steve Newcomb, who's a frequent visitor to straighten out language here. You know, there's a lot been a lot has been said about land back as a motto, as a so-called slogan, a cry to return the land to native people. And yet we maybe we need to go deeper into finding what that really means because it could be a threat to some people, while yet it is a demand and having to do with what's really happened to the land. We go as far as land acknowledgement, but yet that's really saying the land has been stolen. We're acknowledging land theft. So if we go a little bit further than that, we start getting into the etymology of the language and the language we don't know we're really speaking. And I'm not just saying this to Native people. I'm speaking mainly to you, the audience of First Forces Radio who think you know your own language, but as we, we go through this interview, you'll find many good and common logical reasons and simple truth as to why we can change this language. So we offer Steve Newcomb, our friend, a good friend and colleague. I'd like to welcome Steve Newcomb to First Voices Radio. There's been a lot in the press lately. The phrase land back came out of one of the Tilson brothers back in Pine Ridge, 
And it's more than just the literal land back. But yeah, people are understanding the term land back as fully as they could be. And I thought about you when it really came to the origins of why land is not seen as why are we taking it back when it wasn't theirs in the first place? Who do they think they're giving it to? When it really wasn't theirs to t- to give, so in other words, the the doctrine of discovery comes into play for me. What's your thoughts on this? The term "land back." Well, I think before I go into that, I want to acknowledge the original, free and independent existence of our original nations and peoples, extending back to the beginning of time through our oral histories and traditions. And then, and that involves our languages, cultures, spiritual traditions, our ways of life within our homelands, our territories, and so forth. And then the contrast between that original free existence and the system of domination that was brought across the ocean by ship and imposed on everyone and everything by means of their language system, the language system that they brought with them. And that language system involved things like um, ceremonies of possession that they called them or symbolic acts and whereby they would claim a right of domination, as I put it, over everyone and everything. In their euphemistic language, they use other terms such as sovereignty, possession, dominion, and so forth. We can go into a lot of that. When people are trying to talk about land back, I believe that they're trying to sort their way uh, out of the, the confusion that results from the use of the English language in the typical way that, that it's used. And when we think just for a moment about the word back, well, back from some place uh, or some position or some prior condition or state of existence, uh, or back to a prior state of existence uh, it would be one way of thinking of it. So if the, if the default position is the original free and independent existence, if that's our starting point, well, free and independent of what? Free and independent of their system of domination and their claim of a right of domination. And we could get into how that plays out and what they call law and policy and so forth. When you look up the word back, one of the things that's expressed is to back to a former place, position, or owner. And if that's the case, then there's an implicit idea or an acceptance of an idea that they are now the owners, and then they should hand that ownership back to the original owners. And so you're in that uh, kind of domination terminology. And the one with the ownership is considered to have the right of domination over whatever it is that's owned. So if it's property in the Ballantine's Law Dictionary from 1969, the word property is defined as not the material object itself, but the right of domination rightfully obtained over that object. So if the object in question is land, then land back is is saying, hey, we should be the ones that have this right of control over that area of land, not you guys. And so you should give it back. So it, it's it's really interesting. Uh, I've often, you know, when <laughs> I've often thought how interesting it is uh, in terms of the language to talk about these things. 
And I remember when they had the return or the commemoration of the return of the sacred Blue Lake to the Taos Pueblo people, they were talking about a return. But then I was thinking, well, they they created what they called a return, but the lake itself never moved one inch. And so that kind of gives you the idea the land doesn't move either. It's always been there. We're talking about human relationship to to the land and who has the primary position with regard to that relationship. It, it's kind of an illusion, is not Steve, when, when people ask for land back and of course, I didn't understand it as deep as you just explained. But a lot of people are thinking land back. We'll, we'll put it, um, even thinking reparations, treaties, federal recognition. But that varies from state to state, does it not? Well, okay, that that's true. It gets into all those kinds of issues. But if if the central focus is land back, where is the focus on what I just talked about, the original free existence and the system of domination? How does that ever enter into the conversation? There's no focus on it at all. And I think that's part of the problem. What you focus on is also determining what you miss. It will determine or predetermine what you don't focus on. I think that for my you know, my satisfaction to have clarity in my mind, I want to go into more of these kinds of details and have that more nuanced conversation because I think we'll get to a greater clarity by doing that. It's always a work in progress, isn't it? We, we have these conversations and we're always trying to get additional insight and understanding as far as what we're actually dealing with. And those of us, such as you and I, that have been at this for such a long time, we kind of have a little bit of an advantage over some folks that maybe haven't been at it that long. It seemed like this nature of this language is the trap and we can't get out of it. And in the same sense, how far along have we been colonized to accept that, well, you've been dominating us, now it's done and so give the land back, and yet the land has no say. The the life that's existing on it yet, the, the wildlife supposedly, they have no say within that treaty or within the taking of that land. It's just a shock, just the same. And I'm thinking the Americans are giving land back. They're still doing it under the guise of deed, uh, any kind of trust status. Um, and yet it's it's all done uh, in, in the sense that it's still property and still has to be controlled and it still has expenses to be maintained. And I think a lot of people, as you say, don't know the language that's umbrellaed under land back. If the context is the state or with the political construct called the state, which is a system of domination as, as made very evident by Max Weber, a very important German sociologist, if the, if the state is really what dictates more or less the context of the conversation, that's problematic right there because that's the claim of a right of domination. At what point are we finally going to have that conversation to say, no, you never had, your ancestors never had the right to assert any kind of claim of a right of domination over any part of this continent and or this hemisphere and yet look at what your history is all about that. And when we go into federal Indian law and policy, it's really an anti-Indian law uh, policy, law and policy. Uh, and I don't even care to call it law particularly. It's That's another one of these terms that elevates in importance and status their ideas that 
This is all based upon even the com- conversation we're having now, I think, is based upon the ideas and concepts and arguments that came out of the minds of the most elite and, and part of the intelligentsia of the dominating system that came over here. And so now we're running around within that system trying to make sense of it. And and I'm not saying that in a critical way. I think that's exactly what we need to do. But let's not settle for half measures and and slogans and sound bites and things like that. Let's really engage in the insightful, deep, lasting conversation that has to be ongoing as an ongoing process to sort all this stuff out. That would be a great conference, so to speak, probably a, a long conference to really sort it all out what terminology we could use and then even further is what can we draw from our own languages our own our own cultures in order to really shore up that indeed we were as you say free existing people before domination came along the truth in history is constantly is being hidden by the language and and you know where i'm going with this is that if we are an object dominated when is it that we become uh, not just right to occupy land, but actually become, quote unquote, the owners once again? Yeah, see, this is where it becomes very problematic because in order to challenge or contest or fight uh, the, the domination system, it almost requires that you use domination terminology back at them. Let mm-hmm. me give you an example of the of the. Um, kind of thinking. I have a book in front of me, Ceremonies of Possession in Europe's Conquest of the New World, 1492 to 1640 by Patricia Seed. Now, think about that. Ceremonies of Possession. We think of our own ceremonies, but these were them using some kind of a ceremonial context to claim possession. But what is a right of possession? It's a right of domination. And in Europe's conquest, well, what is conquest? That's domination. So right in this title of this book, you have ceremonies of domination and Europe's domination of the new world, if you de- if you decode it, right? And the average person will look at this, could look at this title. You could have a million people look at this title, not without me saying anything about any of this business about domination. And not one of those million people or however many it would be will ever be able to discern and detect and decode the domination terminology in here. So that's how amazing the system is. There are very few terms in the English language that actually have the word domination in the definition, the actual word domination, but they have all kinds of other synonyms for domination. And so that's that's how it has escaped detection for such a long time. You mentioned the ceremonies of possession, not just like a religious cult language. And yet we were still cracking the code, so to speak. And and then, OK, let's say someone gets their a tribe, gets their land returned to them. But the land is not what it used to be. And it's full of, you know, toxins and it's, it's polluted. What native nation really in their right? heart and their right mind want that land returned to them? I don't know how to uh, address that specific oh. question, um, oh. but but here's what I will say. That the, um, the, the entire terminology of English needs to be examined from the shore looking out at the ships. 
from our perspective, because it's, see, it's like I said to Archbishop Silvano Tomasi at the Vatican quite a few years ago now, with respect, I believe there's much of your own history you don't know. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever actually read the Vatican Papal Bulls? And he said, uh, no, I must confess. Well, that same question can be put to the whole society. The, the statement and the question. So in other words, the statement, I believe there's much of your own history you don't know, is is absolutely correct, especially if we're talking about a perspective of that history from the shore looking out at those ships coming in. And that's the difference in viewpoint. I, I attribute my insight about that point to you. You really helped to make me aware of that insight in a way that I hadn't been previously. So I've been working with that insight. And the, 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 the average everyday person in the American society doesn't really know their language all that well. Uh, the, the, they don't realize that more than 60% of this language we're communicating in right now comes from the Latin language, the mm -hmm. language of the Roman Empire, a language system of domination, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that that we ha once we have that conversation about domination, then a lot of things can become more clear to people because, uh, you know, this even critical race theory and that that sort of thing, you have these, these people, there's a backlash against that and people saying, oh, you know, uh, everything's about racism. Okay, well, uh, that's one way of, of critiquing that, but where's the critical domination theory? that enables us to realize, wow, the whole, the whole society, the whole premise of everything they've done ever since they stepped off that first uh, boat has been premised upon them claiming that they have a right of domination over everyone and everything. And what does that mean? It means that they can take their ideas and their concepts and their arguments, their words, and presume that their ideas, that everyone is subject to their ideas. Everyone is, is subject to whatever comes out of their heads. Now, where did that come from? And it's up to us to challenge that. And there's nothing within the federal Indian law profession, as an example that I know of anyway, that will really enable people to make the arguments that I'm making right now. Where is wow. that taught in federal Indian law or in any law school? Mm. or in political science or wherever the heck it might be. There's some, there are some exceptions. There are some examples, but not many. It reminds me of they're like there's two kinds of beings or two, two kinds of monsters. One is that doctrine of discovery is one. And then there's this language that you, we are constantly tossing about like hot potato is that the implications are about yesterday, but that's yesterday, today's today. And we need to catch up with our own understanding of what today's modern law is all about right now we're speaking of uh to me a system that's dying based on not living up to its so-called moral codes of the past but today we're we're speaking in hospicing terminology of a country hospice hospicing modernity so to speak and everybody's trying to get their own while it's here and yet native people are still in the same place like you said the lake blue lake is still there we're not going anywhere. And I'm thinking, what happens to to us as Native people if we still, you know, hold true to who we are? Will we come through? I mean, I'm always looking for this this other opportunity or more optimistic side. What's going to happen to us 
and not give into becoming the pan-American, pan-Indian American that they want us to be. For, for some of us, I mean, I know that for me personally, uh, I feel that there's a, I, I have this uh, almost obsessive insistence that I have to continue to challenge this because if I don't, who is going to? Right. Where where are the where are the other voices out there that are that are going to speak in terms of claim the claim of a right of domination that hasn't really been identified adequately enough and I and I fault myself and you know um, I think I could have been more effective at realizing well hey it's a doctrine of domination not discovery discovery is simply talking about locating those places that haven't yet been forced under domination. So let's put the focus on domination rather than the locating of the lands. Mm. And so the intention within those documents, whether it's Vatican papal documents uh, issued by the popes or uh, royal charters issued by kings and all that, those documents, when we go into them, we see the intention to establish domination where it doesn't yet exist. And as soon as Christians identify the lands where non-Christians are living, they, the Christians automatically presume, hey, Christian domination doesn't exist here yet. We have to establish it here. But they don't call it that. They call it jurisdiction. They call it dominion. They call it a lot of other words. Then most people don't realize they're talking the language of domination. So that now I want to go back to one other thing with regard to the ceremonies of possession and that Mm -hmm. quote uh, or the title I quoted. One of the ways to say, oh, yeah, it's so... It's, it's, it's crazy, but it's also ludicrous. I mean, think of how in, insanely ridiculous it is that people come across an ocean by ship and just because they sit, set foot on shore that suddenly, well, of course, everyone is subject to our ideas because we're the superior beings on the planet. And then that gets taken seriously to be political systems and legal systems and they give it all this importance and highfalutin language. And it's all a big fraud. It's a deception. So, uh, but it's up to us to point that out. You know, it it makes no sense to think that they can just step off a ship and then everyone existing on that land in a free and independent existence and having been there for countless generations is suddenly subject to the thoughts and ideas that come out of the minds of those foreigners, those strangers, those invaders. That makes absolutely no sense. I'm thinking about all these treaties now. Okay, treaties were made under the guise of that, you know, they had to bring peace somehow. And we signed the paper, put our thumbprint to it. But then fast forward to 2007 or so, when you and several others, Orrin Lyons, Tonya Frischner, were working with, you know, coming up with a formula with um, how many Native people were were extinguished, exterminated. Um, And then it came back to, and I remember this because I had the recording of it, is that there was that Native people in this country only have the right to occupy but not own. Is that correct or am I just kind of off here a little bit? No, that's that's correct. With regard to the original free existence, they had to figure out language and terminology that would explain away the original free and independent existence and the presumption that the people existing here were the ones with the right of ultimate dominion or a right of domination. Now, even though that right of domination is completely wrong 
as far as our relationship to the land and to other life forms and so forth. That's the only language they understand. So someone has to have that right of domination. And so they had to create clever ways of using language to explain away the original free and independent existence of our nations and peoples and to put themselves in the primary position with the right of domination. And once they have the right of domination, the only thing left is a right of occupancy. And so that's what they, they always use the word occupancy or occupation uh, with regard to our nations and peoples in relation to their ultimate dominion what they call ultimate dominion. So these are all, remember that these are always words and ideas. We, we shouldn't treat them as being facts or right. physical, physical objects, okay? That's the illusion of the language. So Marshall says their rights to complete sovereignty as independent nations, there's the free and independent existence, were necessarily diminished. That goes with the word depremantur in the, the Vatican Papal Bull of 1493. By the original fundamental principle, well, how could the principle diminish it? It's in their minds. He's talking about we're going to mentally treat their free existence as having been diminished by us coming along and using this language system to, con to regard their existence as being diminished. And because we're regarding it in that way and conceiving of it in that way, then it, it's as the same as if it were a fact. And then once we act upon it, then it will become a fact because we'll be doing that over the course of a very long period of time and they'll be forced to comp and compelled to uh, cave into our will, you know, submit to our yeah. will. So that's the way in which reality gets orchestrated and maintained. And then, then, so let me complete that sentence. Their rights to complete sovereignty as independent nations were necessarily diminished by the original fundamental principle that discovery gave title to those who made it. So he's putting them down as being the original and the fundamental in order to take the place of the original and fundamental nations and peoples with their original free and independent existence. It's all an orchestration of meaning, a manipulation of meaning, and a manipulation of the mind. And that's a much more profound conversation to have before talking about land back or any of these other kind of slogans mm -hmm. uh, because the context is not being properly set for that more, more um, you know, that conversation. So dedicating a lot of what you're doing to articulating and actually disseminating that language is, and express it correctly, you know, it it's all leads to, I think, uh, a while ago, uh, years ago, American in Sovereignty, I think by your, your cohort, Peter DeRico, about oh, yeah. uh, now, now you see it, now you don't. It's yes, kind of like a yes. game. Yeah, Peter DeRico has come, his, his uh, book, uh, Anti-Indian Law, is going to be published in September by Prager Press. Uh, I think he's right at the end of September. His book is going to be coming out. And it's going to be quite extraordinary. And he's he has such a brilliant mind uh, and has been working on these issues for decades. Well, since he came out of college, really, and went to work for the for the Navajo Nation as a as a young attorney. And so uh, he and I've been having a conversation about these issues for over 30 years. Uh, ongoing weekly, just constantly having these conversations, kind of like you and I do, right? And um, 
it's all always a matter of how do we find people that can be our intellectual running partner, so to speak, and uh, and and really pace each other and and um, you know think through all these difficult ideas and concepts and so forth. And so that's going to be wonderful. And with regard to the now, you see it now, you don't. It's whatever they have to manipulate in the spur of the moment to become victorious, right? To always maintain that upper position. Because the English language has that invisible structure uh, up, down, over, under, above, below. And they are always, as a cardinal rule, on the upper level. And they always use language that places our nations and peoples on a lower level. Wow. And that's wow. that's part of the technique. One, let me go one step further yeah. with this. With, yeah. with the Johnson versus McIntosh ruling written by Chief Justice John Marshall, one of the things he said is, However extravagant the pretension of, it, of converting the discovery of an inhabited country into conquest may appear. Let me decode that. It may appear extravagant and outlandish and unreasonable to convert the discovery of an inhabited country into conquest, namely domination. But if it has been asserted in the first instance and afterwards sustained, in other words, if they're able to assert it and keep asserting it over time, and if the economy of the great mass of the community depends on it, and the whole system of property depends on it, then it becomes the law of the land. It cannot be questioned. So he's admitting right there that they're pretending the whole thing is true. Pretending the whole thing is true. Well, hey, Steve, thanks for joining us here on First Voices Radio well, thank wow. you for having me. I always look, I always enjoy it, and I look forward yeah. to our next conversation. So that the people may live, this is why I do this. First Forces Radio for the last unimaginable three decades. And so thank you for listening. And if you want to hear First Forces Radio, let the people know at their local community radio station and tell them Tio Kuzin Ghost Horse sent you.